Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Georgia Dant, founder and CEO of adaptable enhanceable modular clothing brand, Marfa Stance. The brand launched in 2019 to offer an innovative, more sustainable solution to the consumer desire for variety and constant newness. So I wanted to ask Georgia about her success in selling a new idea to fashion shoppers and about the challenges she's faced since launching just ahead of the pandemic. Georgia, hi. Hi, Jill. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to have you here. Talk to me. Did I explain it correctly? For those who don't know the brand, tell us all about it. What do I mean by modular? I know. The the folks don't know. (laughs) Um, You explained it perfectly. Thank you. Um, So modular to to me and to Martha Stance means um, a way of unlocking your creativity, essentially, so that you can actually adapt and personalize your piece to whoever you are and wherever you go. So you essentially can climate control your jacket or coat with buildable accessories that you can build and update depending on the climate or depending on your mood or where you're going. So it's it's a real way of you expressing your creativity, but also designing your own piece for your lifestyle or for whatever functionality or occasion you are you're going to. Yeah, so it's, it's very multifunctional. And so mod- modular is, yeah, a way a way of doing more with less, let's say. Yes. So I feel like I know you as an outerwear brand. You definitely launched heavy in outerwear. Is that the focus or that's just kind of out of the gate? Well, that's that's really the focus of the brand because um, my education and my career was um, started at Burberry. And so Burberry is known for the trench coat. And so my real kind of, um, I guess, first chapter of, of working in the fashion industry was was really to learn the craft of outerwear and to learn the craft of outerwear based around a piece of clothing that's been around for 150 years. So you really have to know, you know, your your craft um, because it's real, it's longevity, really. Um, it's timeless and it's it's a style that, that doesn't date. So I guess for me, outerwear was natural. And for me, the idea of modularity is is perfect for outerwear because it's your second skin, essentially. It needs to be stylish and functional. And I think that's what I realized wasn't really on offer for women. You could either be functional and you look like you're going up a mountain or you could be stylish and it's maybe more sort of fashion. It's not so functional. So for me, there was this opportunity in the outerwear um, space, luxury outerwear space for a new way of thinking about outerwear. So for me, it was natural because of my history, but also I saw an opportunity for um, people to actually be function, well, be stylish and have function. Um, And then it really just went from there. And I realized that actually outerwear can be super playful and really fun. And also it's something that you need every day, especially in a climate like the UK or in in New York where there's real seasons and, and globally if everyone's a, you know if you're a global traveler you need something that you can wear on the plane but also you step out the plane you can you know have a hood you can have a collar you can reverse it to I don't know be a different color like when you go from meeting to meeting and I think that the idea of outerwear that can span um, environment like urban and countryside is also 
interesting. I think Adaware just lends itself to that kind of, um, you know, multi-environmental situation, whereas address, you know, you, that is more occasion-led. So for me, Adaware was, was very natural. For sure. So tell me about, I guess, rolling out new styles. It, you have you have multiple styles. What, what do you envision in terms of your shopper? That they're are they buying one and building on it? Are they buying multiple and mix and matching? Tell me about yeah that balance. It's really a bit of both, actually, Jill. And I think when I started, it was more, you know, you buy this one piece and you continuously update it and. Um, well, we say internally in, in the company, create an update. So you, you, you first of all, pick your base, you create it to how you want it to look, and then you update it based on the you know climate or, or just updating it for a bit of a refresh. Um, but what we've learned now is that actually by expanding the range of accessories and by expanding the range of, of styles, people actually like to really buy multiple pieces but then share the accessories across multiple pieces so if you have three different jackets and you have three different accessories really you have like 12 different jackets because you can reverse things and build things differently and layer things so the sort of opportunity is quite it grows exponentially based on how many pieces you kind of collect from the collection yeah, it's interesting. Say, think of your quilted pieces and quilted jackets are having such a moment, yes. like the hottest thing out there, which yes. <laughs> probably partially driven by your your brand. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, um, in terms of styles that transcend trends, you want to make sure it's classic. You can wear it for yes. years to come. Um, yes. What are the rules about uh, to that? Making sure it's not too trendy. Yes, I mean, I, I I hate the word um, trend. Actually, I've always sort of rebelled against anything trend led because, for me, it's it's an you want to make an investment and you want it to be part of your uniform. And for me, that's about having something and finding something that really doesn't date and isn't just of a moment. Um, it becomes part of you. And I think that you know, as a person, you sort of grow and you you know you evolve yourself. So why not create a piece of clothing that can also do that with you? And I think that that was sort of um, something that I really see people doing. And that makes me so proud, actually, that people really do live by that process when you when you buy a Marfa Stance piece, which is so nice. Yes. Well, who is your customer? Are they coming to you because of, um, first of all, like you said, this didn't exist in the market. They want something unique. They're very, <laughs> they're very, I guess, um, stylish. They, they want to stand out or it's more so about sustainability. And they're just like, I'm sick of buying things every season. Is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both because, um, our customers it's she's she's well she and he actually because we we now introduce shareable pieces into the collection and and our signature quilt is actually unisex anyway so whether it's a he or a she she or he i think find us through multiple different um well i guess it's it's an alignment of values actually let's say so i think it's you you mentioned the word sustainability and i think that that's an interesting um, topic because I think there are so many brands wanting to be sustainable and so many different facets of sustainability that you have to sort of I think as a brand pick your your lane on that and for me it was about offering a solution to people to be able to keep something for a really long time and my solution to that is being able to update it constantly and having it made to a, a luxury level so that it did actually last 
Um, so I think sustainability definitely plays a part. And so people, the conscious consumer is definitely finding us for that reason. Um, but also I think it's it's a, a sort of global traveler mentality as well. The fact that the brand and the, the offering of the pieces is actually very efficient for traveling because you really have, you pack less, you pack more accessories. So therefore you have multiple coats when you actually just have to pack one. And that's how the idea was actually born. It was through me traveling back and forth and realizing that I didn't want to pack all these different things for all these different um, climates or, or occasions. It was actually how to be really efficient and, and pack less. And this is how one of one of the reasons the idea came about. Um, so I think it's the traveler mentality. I think it's a, a value set of, of trying to be conscious, trying to buy less. But like I said earlier, to buy less, these things have to do more for you. Otherwise, you're just going to buy more. Um, and I think it's also for the understated, very discerning customer who's looking for something that's that's really beautifully made, that has an identity, but not kind of screaming a, a brand. It's being able to offer that discerning customer something that they can make their own. And that's what's unique about this brand. You can you know, five different people can be wearing the same thing, but they're wearing it in different ways with different accessories. So it's sort of, it's a brand that appeals to multiple ages because of that reason, I think as well, because the, the base of it is very timeless. But if you're, I don't know, and our, our oldest customer is 95 years old. She puts bright pink accessories all over her quilt. Whereas <laughs> we have we have 23 year old customers who want to be much more kind of understated. So it really it's it's sort of the, the appeal is 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 wide and also quite global because I think you know we have a lot of customers in San Francisco, for example, because the climate is quite changeable. Oh, we have yes. a lot of customers in LA because our pieces are so light. But then again, we have a lot of customers in in Austria and you know Switzerland where it's freezing. So really, I think the layerability and the modularity you mentioned at the beginning allows the customer to be really it's whoever you are and wherever you go really it's it's that mentality of um as long yeah. as long as you're sort of following the same um value set and ethos of being responsible trying to you know i guess be a responsible um sustainable consumer then that's our customer that makes sense. Well, you have great experience, as you said, at Burberry, at Rag and Bone. Um, when you went off to launch something on your own, like what was the first step? How did you even go about getting something new off the ground? <laughs> it's quite difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, um, <laughs> it's when people say you took the leap of faith, It's re it really feels like you're taking a huge leap off of the edge of a cliff. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's not, it's not quite as dramatic, it's dramatic but um, it's, it's, it's really, it's a decision. I would say that it's a real decision that to make, to decide to really put everything on the line. And it's it's a very vulnerable place to find yourself in, actually, because you, you really have to be okay with failure. You really have to be okay with, um, you know, things not working out how you intend. And if, if you sort of, you know, from an from an ego perspective, you have to be okay with your ego taking a bit of a pummeling if that's you know what happens. But I mean, I think also on the flip side, it's just so liberating to to actually do something that you really believe in, and to see people embrace the concept and 
live by that concept is is incredibly rewarding. So I think it's um, it's one of those moments I just sort of had to take that leap of faith and, and shut my eyes and jump and, and, you know, I'm so happy I did. Of course, it's it comes with its problems, but um, <laughs> it was, you know, it was, I think it's one of those things where you just reach a point where, for me, it was the sort of slight disillusionment with the fashion industry of just this constant cycle of, um, waste and it, it just it just didn't really sit well with me and I thought okay either either I have to change my career entirely or I need to do something about it what what, what I find is that a lot of brands say they're sustainable by having a recycled fabric in their collection for example but that doesn't mean anything if, if you're going to do another collection and then just get rid of that and put it in landfill and put it in sale then why that doesn't do anything sustainable but one thing that people constantly ask me is why aren't your why aren't your fabrics recycled? But actually, what we are doing by the end of this year, and it's actually a goal, which I forgot to say, is make everything 100% recycled, which it will be. Um, but again, it's kind of maybe good because that's not the point of the brand. There's way more to the brand than just that. Yes, well, it is something new that you're bringing to the market. I I talked to a fellow that has a, who has a startup, um, Howard at Constant Mountain. Shout out! But he wanted to just make something where it was like. Um, like a hoodie where you have a pouch, but he wanted it to zip and still be able to go through the hoodie. And he was telling me about um, the extra cost and I guess almost um, education between him and the manufacturer to make that work. Like, tell me about, I guess, bringing something new that a manufacturer maybe hasn't done before. Um, the challenge of all of that. I think you have to pick your partners well. I think um, for me, I'd, I'd work with the same family-run factories for years. I met them when I was at Burberry. It was a sort of, you know, relationship of res- mutual respect, let's say, that, that, you know, we continue to be in touch throughout the, the many years. Um, and it's really about inspiring them as well, because, you know, again, as, as manufacturers, they see it all. They've, they've seen everything. And I think when you go to somebody that, that really has a passion for what they do, like in Italy, the, the artisans, they are really proud of what they do. And they are very passionate about what they are producing and you know they're really they're all so excited about looking at something new actually because again they sort of you know go through the sort of same types of garments again and again and I think when I went there to pitch the idea to them they were just like oh okay this is way more complicated (laughs) and this could be a potentially very very um sore headache but actually it feels really inspiring as well to try to do something different and I think that like I said you have to pick your partner as well you have to I I knew that I could only make this kind of um, product in Italy because it's actually very understated in design but there's a hell of a lot of um, work that goes into making this these pieces so simple so for me it was it was about picking the right person to or, or people rather to help me with this but but yes, it was um, it was it was very well received very quickly by the by the people that make the garments. And I think that um, it's it's about learning from each other as well. Like, you know, my idea perhaps was something um, at the beginning that wasn't necessarily achievable. But then working together, you find the solutions and and eventually you find a way of everybody collaborating to make this the best possible piece it can be. Yes. How are you able to communicate um, 
the the benefit of the brand, the the workings of the pieces um, to the customer, whether on social media or on the website, like, do they get it? Is it a kind of how-to type of a video that they need to, to have it sink in? Uh, what are you doing there? Well, it's quite interesting you ask me this because when I first started, I, I, I'm not a marketeer at all. I'm, I'm a designer. For me, this was the most difficult part of launching a brand, actually, the communication. So in person, I can explain, you know, it's, it's easy, but actually communicating a brand concept that is a relatively new concept to, to the market. Well, it is a new concept, but that was the most challenging part. And so we went through a series of videos, we went through a series of um, sort of voiceovers, of animations. Um, and I think the the constant feedback is that actually to see the pieces in real life, then you really understand. And, and that's obviously the best way. So we've started to do many pop-ups and sort of in-person events to really explain this. However, that's obviously not possible 100% of the time. So we have tried to sort of come up with a way digitally and virtually of, of enabling the consumer to kind of almost like step into their own design room to create their pieces and it's it's taken a lot of work but on your website it now sort of you can almost build your own mood board of of of, of combinations and then we have these little kind of how-to demos and videos of how to button your accessories on to each other um, nice. yes that is that is a it, it's hard to it's hard to communicate all of these intricate details but I think video is amazing and, and, and Instagram and social media and these these sort of little mini tutorials you can do are just so helpful to everybody yeah did you hire somebody um an expert at marketing out of the gate or what was the team you built no. early on <laughs> it was just me um so <laughs> So hence our, our website wasn't so great from them at the beginning um, because I've never done one before. And the social media also, I, I'd never posted an Instagram post in my life. It wasn't, I'm not, I'm not really an Instagram person myself. So it was, it was um, very sort of basic, let's say at the beginning. Um, but now I have a really, a really wonderful team of people that help um, with this, with this aspect of the business. But again, it was in a way, it's kind of nice that I started that way because I was forced to learn, you know, what people needed and what people responded to. And actually being a hundred percent organic at the beginning was, was really, really a great learning experience because then it's, it's, the relationships that we built and the customers that immediately found us, it was so genuine because it was purely organic. And yeah. I think what I've tried to do with the brand to, is to keep that kind of um, mentality, actually, because the customer, again, having no team at the beginning, I really had to rely on the customer interaction and the feedback. So I realized actually that that's super important. And so now the customer is still as involved in the brand as they were at the beginning. And we tried to use customers in our in our shoots, we do muse profiling. We actually invite the customer to our studio. We we do sort of one on ones. We we really try to um, encourage that that dialogue so that we are really designing and well pieces and communication and the site based on their needs rather than just what we think. So it's it's actually even though it was quite um, like I said basic, it's it's really shaped the brand doing it in that way. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Did you fundraise early on? Was that, has that um, been part of the, I guess, 
go-to-market strategy was that needed? Well, again, when I first started, it was purely me funding. So it was, um, this leap of faith was was a real leap of faith, <laughs> financially, <laughs> mentally, and physically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I realized that for me to do this, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to make mistakes with my own money. I didn't want to do do those kind of errors that I knew, you know, everyone makes them when you're starting out because you don't know what you're doing. I didn't want the pressure of doing it with other people's money because for me, I wanted to know everything before I could then ask for certain things and, and employ people to do certain things for me. And I feel very happy, even though it was very stressful, I feel very happy that I did it that way because I feel much more informed now. Again, we we did fund well, I did fundraise after about 18 months um, in a small way. And I think that but for me, knowing knowing the journey of the first 18 months to get to that point, I felt much more ready to, to fundraise in a more, I suppose, like I said, informed way. Let's say I knew what I needed the money for, what was working, what wasn't, um, how to expand in a thoughtful and meaningful way rather than just expanding. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of um, yeah how that started. And it's the same process with employing a team as well. It was just really understanding personally what needed to be done and then employing appropriately. Yes. It, tell me about um, the pre-order model. Is a lot of the the um, product pre-order only? Do you have stock available on hand, um, or it's it's it almost seems to me like a safer way to go about it? Um, yes. You're not investing in things that may or may not sell. But yeah, yeah, tell me about that strategy. Well, it's kind of the same. It's the same approach, really. Again, it was it was born through a a lack of funds because again, it was me funding. It was a lack of space because I didn't have space. So really it was a resourceful way of thinking about how to start a brand in a, in a very um, mindful and meaningful way. What does the customer actually want? Okay. When do they want it? Um, are they prepared to kind of um, wait for these pieces because they're not trend led, they're seasonless, they're timeless, they're ageless. And the answer really was, yes, everyone's prepared to wait. And actually, people got really what they wanted it, what, what they wanted when they wanted it. The issue we then ran into was the pandemic and that the supply chain issue suddenly went a bit bananas. But aside from that, the principle of, of the theory of, of how to do this was, was correct. And actually, even though we're growing quite, quite rapidly, we are keeping that pre-order model in place because I think people want to know that we are doing what we're practicing what we preach we are about zero waste we do not have wastage we just as soon as we sell out we then make more that's how we do it we don't just have an entire warehouse of stock it's it's not i don't think good for anybody to do that so i think that again we don't put anything on sale we don't um we we only um, sell out of things and don't reproduce them if the fabric is no longer reproducible. For example, we use dead stock um, um, cashmeres and we've just sold out of our cashmere parka. We can't make that again because the fabric doesn't exist. So it's we we have certain things that are constantly running, um, but there are certain things that are special edition that when they've gone, they've really gone, which is kind of exciting as well because you can you can really feel like you're collecting from the brand. It's not just you know, mass produced, it's really not. 
Get it while it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are, we've been hearing even from long time established brands um, about the um, factory shutting down in Italy. I think Tom Ford referenced, that's why he wasn't able to produce a fashion show or get his collection off the ground this season. Um, Even for a newer brand, I would think that you're not maybe the priority um, for these factories, but yeah. What were the challenges, I guess, um, in the last couple months, couple years? I mean, unfortunately, it has been a couple of years now. Actually, um, I mean, we're we're three years old um, next next no, not next month, in a month after in April, um, and so we've really been through it all. <laughs> um, so, being a small brand at that age, um, just literally starting, it's it's been really difficult. Um, but luckily, the the factories that I approached to partner with me on this project um, have been really supportive, and that has allowed us to stay in business essentially because we haven't been just pushed to the side we we've they they understand that this is a a brand with values we value them they value us it's it's reciprocal and we have been able to grow slowly with them and support them like they've supported us and i think of course there are challenges oh my goodness the the not just the pandemic but brexit we've had like the two oh, main major. yes it's it's been it's been definitely a, a challenge however we've we've sort of figured it out together and it's it's I just think that I know it sounds really cheesy we're in it together but we kind of are it's it's really like that and I think that that's really helped us to to sort of I guess weather the storm and I think you know the we were talking about the pre-order system again that actually has been that wasn't set up because of a reaction to the pandemic it was prior to prior to the pandemic when I first set up the brand, because like I said, to, just to be resourceful and, you know, to, to have that sort of crystal ball of, of what the customer really wants. But but that process has really allowed us to, to, I guess, weather the storm of the pandemic because we didn't have loads of stock just sitting there losing money. We were still just making as we needed to. And I think that really that really helped us with the logistical issues because again, people understood from us already that you wait for your pieces. Of course, some things were in stock, which is great, but um, even if it's in stock after, after the pandemic, shipping times are so crazy anyway, so you, <laughs> you still have to wait. But it's, um, you know, it, it's a it's a, def- a different way of thinking about um, how to, to start a brand, but I think it's it's definitely a very modern approach and I think it's it, it works. Yes. So we did not even discuss that you are in the, you're based in the UK. Yes. And yes. tell me about Brexit and um, I guess how that <laughs> changed your, how long have you got? <laughs> your target market and like how that like made you kind of rethink everything. Um, well, yes, based in the UK, but um, as you know, I've worked in New York for um, a good few many years. And um, I think naturally my aesthetic is somewhere between London and New York actually so and a bit of west coast um thrown in there and so my aesthetic is is naturally um to think about these two types of um these two types of areas let's say um mixed with a bit of countryside too because my family are from the countryside so it's all these things in one and I think that um having that sort of global mentality also of, of, of travel it allows your aesthetic to become something that's um quite well-rounded um so for me when I started the brand I was I didn't identify a customer I just identified a value set and a mindset and that actually has really helped the brand be quite um 
I guess, adaptable. So really, there's not a type of customer and there's not a location in the world that is the most popular. It's really global in the sense that from the first month of launching the brand, I had orders from New York, London, and actually Germany. So it was was Europe, it was, you you know, US, um, and actually New Zealand, quite strangely. So immediately it was global, which was interesting. And that that hasn't changed. It's it's still very global. We we ship all over the world. Um, I would say the main markets are the UK and the US. They're, they're, they're definitely the two biggest. Unfortunately, Scandinavia and Europe was growing for us, but Brexit has kind of killed that, which is a real shame. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to how to reconnect with our European um, community because it's it's a real shame. We actually went to Rome two weeks ago to do a pop-up in Rome because we have an Italian following, but with the shipping rules, it's quite difficult. So we're trying to maybe do more in-person events in Europe yeah. to try and you know make sure that we can grow that business as well. But but yeah, the, the US and the UK are our biggest at the moment. Nice. And again, well, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and of all ages as well. Um, so it's it's definitely interesting. Nice. Well, I know you've established several retail partners. We've talked with brands, especially that are specializing in customizable custom fashion about the challenges associated with that. Um, gosh, I don't even know. Do they have to buy into all of the pieces to make this work or how does it work? Um, I was quite specific about our um, our wholesale strategy because for, for me, the brand really lends itself to being direct to consumer because it's really about um, offering the customer a certain experience and it's quite a personal experience that we offer. Um, however, to partner with, with um, amazing retail partners such as net porte and Matches and amazing boutiques around the world is also so so incredible and particularly our, our partners in, in Japan and in Europe. I mean, it's it's really wonderful to see the brand kind of growing globally like this. Um, but I'm quite careful about the offering because I think it's very important for our loyal customer to be able to come to Martha Stance or MarthaStance.com or our studio or our store, or whatever, and have an exclusive experience. Um, and I think as we as we sort of grow with our retail partners, the idea would be to offer them exclusivity on certain things as well, so that the customer can have that experience with wherever they shop. But I think that for me, it was important not to offer the same things to everybody. There are certain pieces that you can find, like our core signature quilt, which is our famous piece. You can buy that across the world, but certain colorways are exclusive to us or certain accessories are exclusive to us. And I think that's how we will we will strategize with, with um, the net-a-portes and the matches of the world as well, so that everyone feels like their customer has a special Moffasance experience. Right on. That makes great sense. Well, I, a story that I was reading was calling you a favorite of the front row. And I know you because <laughs> kind of it girls wear your brand. Tell me about, um, I guess, earning that fan base, the, the influential fan base. Uh, what's secret to that? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, again, it's happened very organically, which is which is great. We don't pay people to wear product. We're, I'm not into like influencers in terms of gifting it's because our product is too expensive so really it's it's happened very organically and I think that what I would say is that I try to build relationships with our muses and and 
women and men of influence who wear our brand. And I think that's probably the secret, actually having a meaningful relationship with these people, involving them in the brand. I think that that really goes a long way because it's it's sort of, it's product that's not just, like you said earlier, trend-led. It's not that. It's about actually investing in something that you will keep forever. And I think that having that dialogue with the, with the customer and the or the muse or the or the or the person of influence um that we're working with it's about sharing values and it's about supporting them as much as them supporting us and so whenever um for example we um have a, a i don't know somebody on the front row wearing our product there's a relationship behind that it's not just um you know it, it's an organic authentic relationship and i think that what we try to do is also interview everybody and, and, and publish to our customers and our community um, actually what these people believe in and what they stand for and, and what they want to say. And I think that that really, that relationship building is important. Community to me and to everybody that I work with is so important. And I think that, again, that's a, a new modern way of thinking about how to build a brand. It's, it's about involving community and, and establishing a culture and establishing a kind of um, a customer base that that really support you as if as we support them and I think that there's you know that's something I really wanted to I guess encourage and I think that 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 goes within our team as well and and our factories and our partners and we we try to speak about our partners as well and, and showcase the factories and who makes your pieces and um also who who are the customers who are you what do you want to say and I think that that's something really inspiring actually Exactly. I agree. Do you, um, what happens after the purchase? Because it's obviously your model is like made for customer loyalty. It's probably dependent on on the the customer coming back. Is it about kind of email updates and notifying when something is new or yeah, what, what, what happens? I mean, we have multiple, I guess, um, ways of doing it. And I think that, um, from, from the get go, as soon as somebody makes the purchase, they get a personal email from myself and from the team um, introducing who we are and, and how we can help. Um, we also personally email our customers to suggest new things that they can um, add on to their pieces. Um, again, we invite all of our customers to our pop-ups, to any sort of in-person events that we're doing. Um, we're going to try to, to build into our customer experience and actual customer um evenings where we can like I don't know do some workshops or something that's kind of hopefully coming at the end of the year um and I think it's really it's communication I think that that's the secret because when you make a, a an expensive purchase and then that's it it sort of feels a little you know some people don't want constant communication of course and, and you know that that's totally fine but sometimes I mean from personal experience I was always thinking oh I really would kind of you know that was such a big purchase I would love to kind of have more interaction with that particular brand and so when I started Martha Stance I thought how can we offer that sort of um off aftercare that sounds a bit weird but you know what I mean it's sort of that kind of um continued dialogue with the customer and I think that our business model is is built for repeat customers because you can constantly buy new accessories to to enhance your piece. So it sort of goes hand in hand. It's it's really just communication. I think everyone on our team loves to chat. So <laughs> it's about just yeah, emailing and and being being approachable. I think that's that's 
a large part of it. Yeah. Well, what's working? Word of mouth is obviously working. Yes, word a of bit. mouth is really working for us, which is great. Yeah. I think that's what the else? most genuine form of marketing, to be honest. I, I feel very proud of that. Right on. If you can get it, that that's amazing. Um, is there anything else? Where are you putting maybe advertising, marketing dollars, anything else working to, to bring in that customer for the first time? Yeah. And actually, interestingly, again, like I said earlier, I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of um, new to Instagram, um, but Instagram advertising really works. I think it's, um, it's something that, that is, you know, feels, feels very genuine because I think it's um, targeting like-minded customers and, and people who might sort of like the brand. And it's, it's about giving that kind of um, insight and um, I guess snapshot of, of what, who we are and what we do. Um, and I think that that does actually attract a lot of new customers to, to our brand. Um, word of mouth certainly is, is, is the, the most kind of, I guess, genuine form of marketing. So I love the fact that that's, that naturally happens for us, which is great. But yeah, Instagram is, is a wonderful place to, to attract new, new consumers. And what we, we are finding is actually the pop-ups that we do and the, the sort of in-person events that we do really does attract people. And I think that, um, that's something we've learned very recently and we are going to continue to do to do these things because it's again it's an authentic relationship that we we will build with with people in person and so yeah that's something that's that's I think really working for us great well what are your specific goals do you uh for 2022 it's a new year we're going to assume the world is opening up and going to stay there <laughs> I hope so sale. I know <laughs> yes please I mean we'll, we'll hope we're and pray <laughs> yeah but um specific goals in place in terms of maybe growth growth percentage growth numbers maybe um yeah what are you looking to do this year I mean this year it, it's it's because we're we're still so new I mean it's we're not even three yet I think we we are really about reaching new customers and brand awareness and telling our story and trying to I suppose um, really reinforce our our message and our concept of why we exist, why we're we're new to the market, how you can actually really buy less and buy better with us, and I think that's the the way we can do that is by doing more in-person events and I think that that's kind of our strategy for this year and also to open a store because I do think that that's something um we feel ready for because we have a lot of customers come to our studio sometimes it's quite messy <laughs> so I think it would be quite quite nice to have a let's say an environment that's sort of a multifunctional space where people can see where we work they can see our mood boards they can see our fittings but also there's a space for the customer to actually really have an, a Martha's dance experience where they can really build their pieces in person with us. And so I would say that's definitely a goal for this year. Um, and I think that will, of course, increase our um, increase our growth and our numbers, because I think sometimes on I mean, I'm an online shopper, but even myself online, I get overwhelmed. There's so much choice. There's so much option. But when you're physically somewhere and you can really talk to people about you know what you need and and really in person seeing the colors and feeling the quality that's when you can really make that that purchase in a considered way and I think that so that that's for me our new our new sort of 2022 strategy trying to do as many in-person events as possible plus opening a a sort of Martha Stance Maison let's say. 
Oh, that sounds fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, so great to learn all about the brand. Love all that you're doing. And Georgia, thank you for being here today. It was awesome. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely to be here. I hope that um, see you soon. (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.